Chapter Nine, Part One of the Night Operator by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Night Operator, Chapter Nine, The Other Fellow's Job, Part One. There is a page in Hill Division history that belongs to Jimmy Beezer. This is Beezer's story, and it goes back to the days of the building of the long-talked-of, figure-eight, canted-over, sideways tunnel on the Devil's Slide, that worst piece of track on the Hill Division, which is to say, the worst piece of track bar none on the American continent. Beezer, generally speaking, was a fitter in the Big Cloud shops. Beezer, in particular, wore a beard. Not that there is anything remarkable in the fact that one should wear a beard, though there are two classes of men who shouldn't, the man who chews tobacco, and the man who tinkers around a railroad shop, and on occasions, when major repairs are the order of the day, is intimate with the niggerhead of a locomotive. Beezer combined both classes in his person, but with Beezer there were extenuating circumstances. According to Big Cloud, Beezer wore a beard because Mrs. Beezer said so. Mrs. Beezer, in point of size, made about two of Beezer, and Big Cloud said she figured the beard kind of took the cuss off the discrepancy. Anyway, whether that is so or not, Beezer wore a beard, and the reason it is emphasized here is because you couldn't possibly know Beezer without it. Its upper extremity was nicotine-dyed in spots to a nut-brown, and from thence shaded down to an indeterminate rust color at its lower edge. When he hadn't been dusting off and doing parlor-maid work with it in the unspeakable grime of a front end, in shape it never followed the prevailing tonsorial fashions. As far as anyone knew, no barber was ever the richer for Beezer's beard. Beezer used to trim it himself Sunday mornings, sort of half-moon effect he always gave it. He was a spare, short man, all jump and nerves, and active as a cat. He had shrewd brown little eyes, but owing to the fact that he had a small head and wore a large-sized black greasy peaked cap jammed down as far over his face as it would go, the color of his eyes could hardly be said to matter much, for when you looked at Beezer, Beezer was mostly just a round knob of up-tilted nose and beard. Beezer's claim to immortality and fame, such as they are, were vested in disease. Yes, that's it, you got it right, disease. Beezer had a disease that is very common to mankind in general. There's a whole lot of men like Beezer. Beezer envied the other fellow's job. Somebody has said that the scarcest thing on earth is hen's teeth, but the man who hasn't some time or other gone green-eyed over the other chap's trick and confidentially complained to himself that he could sit in and hold it down a hang-sight better himself has the scarcity of hen's teeth oracle nailed to the mast from the start. And a curious thing about it is that the less one knows of what the men he envies is up against the more he envies, and the better he thinks he could swing the other's job himself. There's a whole lot like Beezer. Now, Beezer was an almighty good fitter. Tommy Regan said so, and Regan ought to know. That's why he took Beezer out of the shops where the other had grown up, so to speak, and gave Beezer the roundhouse repair work to do. And that's where Beezer caught the disease, in the roundhouse. Beezer contracted a mild attack of it the first day. 
but it wasn't bad enough to trouble him much or see a doctor about, so he let it go on, and it got chronic. Beezer commenced to inhale an entirely different atmosphere, and the more he inhaled it, the more discontented he grew. An engine out in the roundhouse, warm and full of life, the steam whispering and purring at her valves, was a very different thing from a cold, rusty, dismantled boiler shell jacked up on lumbering blocks in the erecting shop. And the road talk of specials, holding orders, tissues, running time, and what not had a much more appealing ring to it than discussing how many inches of muck number 414 had accumulated on her guard plates, the incidental damning of the species wiper, and whether her boxes wanted new babbiting or not. Toiling like a slave ten hours a day for six days a week and maybe overtime on Sundays, so that the other fellow could have the fun and the glory and the fatter paycheck, and the easy time of it began to get Beezer's goat. The other fellow was the engineer. Beezer got to contrasting up the two jobs, and the more he contrasted, the less he liked the looks of his own, and the more he was satisfied of his superior ability to hold down the other over any one of the crowd that signed on or off in the grease-smeared pages of the Turner's book which recorded the comings and goings of the engine crews. And his ability, according to Beezer's way of looking at it, wasn't all swelled head either, for there wasn't a bolt or a split pin in any type of engine that had ever nosed its pilot on the hill division that he couldn't have put his finger on with his eyes shut. How much, anyhow, did an engineer know about an engine? There wasn't a fitter in the shops that didn't have the best engineer that ever pulled a throttle pinned down with his shoulders flat on the mat on that count. And there wasn't an engineer but would admit it, either. But a routine in which one is brought up, gets married in, and comes to look upon as a sort of fixed quantity for life, isn't to be departed from offhand, and at a moment's notice. Beezer grew ardent with envy, it is true, but the idea of actually switching over from the workbench to the cab didn't strike him for some time. When it did, the first time it took his breath away, literally. He was in the pit, and he stood up suddenly, and the stay bolts on the rocker arm held, and Beezer promptly sat down from a wallop on the head that would have distracted the thoughts of any other man than Beezer. Engineer Beezer! He had to lift the peak of his cap to dig the tears out of his eyes, but when he put it back again the peak was just a trifle further up his nose. Engineer Beezer! A limited run! The Imperial Flyer! into division on the dot, hanging like a lord of creation from the cab window, cutting the miles on the grades and levels like a swallow, roaring over trestles, diving through tunnels. There was excitement in that, something that made life worth living, instead of everlastingly messing around with a hammer and a cold chisel, and pulling himself thin at the hips on the end of a long-handled union wrench. Daydreams? Well... Everybody daydreams, don't they? Why not Beezer? It is not on record that anyone ever metamorphosed himself into a drunkard on the spot at the first time he ever stepped up to a bar. But, as the Irishman said, "'Cape your foot on the rail, and yous have the makings of a dumbed fine bum in yous.' Of course, the thing wasn't feasible. It sounded all right and was mighty alluring, but it was all dream." 
Beezer put it from him with an unctuous get-thee-bind-me-Satan air, but he purloined a book of rules, road rules, out of Pudgeon McAllister's seat in the cab of the 1016. He read up the rules at odd moments, and moments that weren't odd, and gradually the peak of his cap crept up as far as the bridge of his nose. Beezer was keeping his foot on the rail. Mrs. Beezer found the book. That's what probably started things along toward a showdown. She was, as has been said, a very large woman. Also, she was a very capable woman, of whom Beezer generally stood in some awe, who washed and ironed and cooked for the Beezer brood during the day, and did overtime at nights on socks and multifarious sewing, including patches on Beezer's overalls, and other things which are unmentionable. The book fell out of the pocket of one of the other things one evening. Mrs. Beezer examined it, discovered McAllister's name scrawled on it, and leaned across the table under the paper-shaded lamp in their modest combination sitting and dining room. What are you doing with this, Mr. Beezer? She inquired peremptorily. Mrs. Beezer was always peremptory with Beezer. Beezer coughed behind his copy of the Big Cloud Daily Sentinel. Well? prompted Mrs. Beezer. I brought it home for the children to read, said Beezer, who, being uncomfortable, sought refuge in the facetious. Mr. Beezer, said Mrs. Beezer with some asperity, you put down that paper and look at... Mr. Beezer obeyed a little doubtfully. Now, continued Mrs. Beezer, what's got into you since you went into the roundhouse? I don't know, but I sort of had my suspicions, and this book looks like them. You might as well make a clean breast of what's on your mind, because I'm going to know. Beezer looked at his wife and scowled. He felt what might be imagined to be somewhat the feelings of a man who is caught sneaking in by the side entrance after signing the pledge at a Blue Ribbon rally. It was not a situation conducive to good humor. There ain't anything got into me, said he truculently. If you want to know what I'm doing with that book, I'm reading it because I'm interested in it. And I've come to the conclusion that a fitter's job alongside of an engineer's ain't either better than a mud-picking Polacks. You should have found that out before you went into the shops ten years ago, said Mrs. Beezer with a sweetness that tasted like vinegar. Ten years ago, Beezer flared. How's a fella to know what he's cut out for and what he can do best when he starts in? How's he to know, Mrs. Beezer? Will you tell me that? Mrs. Beezer was not sympathetic. I don't know how he's to know, she said. But I know that the trouble with some men is that they don't know when they're well off, and if you're thinking of... I ain't, said Beezer sharply. I said if, Mr. Beezer, and if... There's no if about it, Beezer lied fiercely. I'm not... You are declared mrs beezer emphatically but with some wreckage of english due to exceeding her speed permit mrs beezer talked fast when you act like that i know you are and i know you better than you do yourself and i'm not gonna let you make a fool of yourself and and come home here dead some night and wake me up same as poor miss darlene got her man back week before last on a box car door don't you know when you're well off? You an engineer. What kind of an engineer do you think you'd make? Why? Mrs. Beezer, said Beezer hoarsely. Shut up. Mrs. Beezer caught her breath. What did you say? She gasped. I said, said Beezer sullenly, picking up his paper again, that I'd never have thought of it if you hadn't put it into my head, and now the more I think of it, the better it looks. I thought so, sniffed Mrs. Beezer profoundly. 
And now, Mr. Beezer, let this be the last of it, the idea. I never heard of such a thing. Curiously enough, or perhaps naturally enough, Mrs. Beezer's cold-water attitude had precisely the opposite effect on Jimmy Beezer to that which she had intended it should have. It was the side-entrance proposition over again. When you've been caught sneaking in that way, you might just as well use the front door on Main Street next time and have done with it. Beezer began to do a little talking around the roundhouse. The engine crews, by the time they tumbled to the fact that it wasn't just the ordinary grumble that any man is entitled to in his day's work, stuck their tongues in their cheeks, winked surreptitiously at each other, and encouraged him. Now it is not to be implied that Jimmy Beezer was anybody's fool, not for a minute. A first-class master fitter, with his time served, is a long way from being in that class right on the face of it. Beezer might have been a little blinded to the tongues and winks on account of his own earnestness. Perhaps he was, for a time. Afterwards, but just a minute, or we'll be running by a meeting point which is mighty bad railroading. Beezer's cap, when he took the plunge and tackled Regan, had got tilted pretty far back, so far that the peak stood off his forehead at about the same rakish angle that his upturned little round knob of a nose stuck up out of his beard, which is to say that Beezer had got to the stage where he had decided that the professional swing through the gangway he had been practicing every time, and some others that he had occasion to get into a cab, was going to be of some practical use at an early date. He put it up to Regan one morning when the master mechanic came into the roundhouse. Regan leaned his fat little body up against the jam of one of the big engine doors, pulled at his scraggly brown mustache, and blinked as he listened. "'What's the matter with you, Beezer, hmm? he inquired perplexedly when the other was at an end. "'Haven't I just told you?' said Beezer. "'I want to quit fitting and get running.' "'Talks as though he meant it.' commented Regan sotto voce to himself, as he peered earnestly into the fitter's face. "'Of course I mean it,' declared Beezer, a little tartly. "'Why wouldn't I?' "'No,' said Regan. "'That ain't the question. The question is, why would you, hmm? "'Because,' Beezer answered promptly, "'I like a snap as well as the next man. It's a better job than the one I've got, better money, better hours, easier all around, and one I can hold down with the best of them.' Regan's eyebrows went up. "'Think so,' he remarked casually. "'I do,' declared Beezer. "'Well, then,' said Regan, "'if you've thought it all out and made up your mind, "'there's nothing I know of to stop you. "'Want to begin right away?' "'I do,' said Beezer again. "'It was coming easier than he had expected. "'There was a jubilant trill in his voice. "'All right,' said Regan. "'I'll speak to Clarahue about it. "'You can start in wiping in the morning.' "'Wiping?' echoed Beezer faintly. "'Sure,' said Regan. "'That's what you wanted, wasn't it? "'Wiping? A dollar ten a day?' "'Oh, well, look here,' said Beezer with a gulp. I, "'I ain't joking about this.' "'Well, then, what are you kicking about?' demanded Regan. Oh, "'About wiping and a dollar ten, said Beezer. "'What would I do with a dollar ten? me with a wife and three kids?' "'I don't know what you'd do with it,' returned Regan. "'What do you expect?' Well, I don't expect to start in wiping, said Beezer, beginning to get a little hot. Well, you've been there long enough to know the way up, said Regan. Wiping, firing, you take your turn. 
and your turn'll come for an engine according to the way things are shaping up now in say uh, about uh, fifteen years fifteen years maybe grinned regan i can't promise to kill off anybody to accommodate you now can i and don't the ten years i put in here count for anything queried beezer aggressively why don't you start me in sweeping up the roundhouse wiping wiping my eye what for i know all about the way up that's all right for a man starting in green but i ain't green why why there ain't a year old apprentice over in the shops there that don't know more about an engine than any bloomin engineer on the division you know that regan you know it hanged well don't you well admitted the master mechanic you're not far wrong at that beezer you bet i'm not beezer was emphatic how about me then do i know an engine every last nut and bolt in her or don't i you do said regan and if it's any satisfaction to you to know it i wouldn't ask for a better fitter any time than yourself well then what's the use of talking about wiping if i'd put in ten years learning the last kink there is in an engine and have forgotten more than the best man of the engine crews'll know when he dies what's the reason i ain't competent to run one regan reached into his back pocket for his chewing wriggled his head until his teeth met in the plug and tucked the tobacco back into his pocket again beezer said he slowly spitting out an undesirable piece of stalk did it ever strike you that there's a whole lot of blamed good horse doctors that'd make damn poor jockeys hm? beezer scowled deeply and kicked at a piece of waste with the toe of his boot all i want is a chance he growled shortly give me a chance and i'll show you you can have your chance said regan i've told you that yes said beezer bitterly it's a hell of a chance ain't it a dollar ten a day wiping i'd be willing to go on firing for a spell wiping said regan with finality as he turned away and started toward the shops but you'd better chew it over again beezer and have a talk with your wife before you make up your mind somebody chuckled behind beezer and beezer whirled like a shot the only man in sight was pudgy mcallister pudgy's back was turned and he was leaning over the main rod poking assiduously into the internals of the ten sixteen with a long spouted oil can but beezer caught the suspicious rise and fall of the overall straps over the shoulders of the fat man's jumper beezer was only human it got beezer on the raw which was already pretty sore the red flared into his face hard enough to make every individual hair in his beard incandescent as he walked over to pudgy yanked pudgy out into the open and shoved his face into the engineers what in the double blank blankety blank blazes are you grinning at he inquired earnestly hmm? said pudgy yes hmm? said beezer eloquently that's what i'm asking you whether pudgy mcallister was just plain lion-hearted or a rotten bad judge of human nature isn't down on the minutes all that shows is that he was one or the other with some labor and exaggerated patience he tugged a paper-covered pamphlet out of his pocket from under the jumper it was the book of rules beezer had borrowed some time before mrs beezer said pudgy blandly was over visiting the missus this morning and she brought this back from what she said i don't know as it would do any good but i thought perhaps if you were going to take regan's advice about talking to your wife you and mrs beezer might like to look it over again together before you that was as far as pudgy mcallister got 
Generally speaking, the more steam there is to the square inch buckled down under the valve, the shriller the whistle is when it breaks loose. Beezer let a noise out of him that sounded like a green parrot complaining of indigestion and went at McAllister head-on. The oil can sailed through the air and crashed into the window glass of Clara Hughes' cubbyhole in the corner. There was a tangled and revolving chaos of arms and legs and lean and fat bodies, then a thud. There wasn't any professional ringwork about it. They landed on the floor and began to roll, and a pail of packing and black oil they knocked over greased the way. There was some racket about it, and Regan heard it. So did Clarahue, and McAllister's fireman, and another engine crew or two, and a couple of wipers. The rush reached the combatants, when there wasn't more than a scant thirty-second of an inch between them and the edge of an empty pit. But a thirty-second is a whole lot sometimes. When they stood them up and got them uncoupled, McAllister's black eye was modestly toned down with a generous share of what had been in the packing bucket, but his fist still clutched a handful of hair that had been separated from Beezer's beard, and Beezer's eyes were running like hydrants from the barbering. Take it all around, thanks mostly to the packing bucket. They were a fancy-enough-looking pair to send a high-class team of professional comedians streaking for the sidings all along the right-of-way to get out of their road. It doesn't take very much, after all, to make trouble. Not very much. And once started, it's worse than the measles, the way it spreads. Mostly they guide Pudgy McAllister at first. They liked his makeup better owing to the black eye. But Pudgy was both generous and modest. What applause there was coming from the audience he wanted Beezer to get. He wasn't playing for the lead. And Beezer got it. Pudgy opened up a bit and maybe drew on his imagination a bit about what Mrs. Beezer had said to Mrs. McAllister about Jimmy Beezer, and what Beezer had said to Regan and Regan to Beezer, not forgetting Regan's remark about the horse doctor. Oh, yes, trouble once started makes the measles look as though it were out of training and couldn't stand the first round. To go into details would take more space than a treatise on the manners and customs of the early Moabites, but summed up it was something like this. Mrs. Beezer paid another visit to Mrs. McAllister, magnanimously ignoring the social obligation Mrs. McAllister was under to repay the former call. Mrs. McAllister received Mrs. Beezer in the kitchen over the wash-tubs, which was just as well for the sake of the rest of the house, for when Mrs. Beezer withdrew, somewhat shattered but in good order, by a flank movement through the backyard, an impartial observer would have said that the kitchen had been wrecked by a gas explosion. This brought Big Cloud's one lawyer and the Justice of the Peace into it, and cost Beezer everything but the odd change on his month's paycheck when it came. Meanwhile, what with a disturbed condition of marital bliss at home, Beezer caught it right and left from the train crews, engine crews, and shop hands during the daytime. They hadn't anything against Beezer, not for a minute, but give a railroad crowd an opening and there's no aggregation on earth quicker on the jump to take it. They dubbed him Engineer Beezer and Dr. Beezer, but mostly Dr. Beezer, out of compliment to Regan. And old Grumpy, the timekeeper in the shop, got so used to hearing it that he absent-mindedly wrote it down Dr. Beezer when he came to make up the payroll. That put it up to Carlton, the super, who got a curt letter from the auditor's office down east 
asking for particulars, and calling his attention to the fact that all medical services were performed by contract with the company. Carleton scowled perplexedly at the letter, scrawled Tommy Regan's initials at the bottom of the sheet, plus an interrogation mark, and put it in the master mechanic's basket. Regan grinned, and wrote east, telling them facetiously to scratch out the doctor and squeeze in a J in front of the Beezer, and it would be all right. But it didn't go. You can't get by a high-browed set of red-tape-bound expert accountants of unimpeachable integrity who are safeguarding the company's funds like that. Hardly. They held out the money, and by the time the matter was straightened out, the pay-car had come and gone, and Beezer got a chance to find out how good his credit was. Considering everything, Beezer took it pretty well. He went around as though he had boils. But if Beezer had a grouch and cause for one, it didn't make the other fellow's job look any the less good to Beezer. Mrs. Beezer's sharp tongue barbed with contemptuous innuendo that quite often developed into pointed directness as to her opinion of his opinions, and the kind of engineer he'd make, which he was obliged to listen to at night, and the men, who didn't know what an innuendo was, that he was obliged to listen to by day, didn't alter Beezer's views on that subject any, whatever else it might have done. Beezer had a streak of stubbornness running through the boils. He never got to blows again. His tormentors took care of that. They had McAllister as an example that Beezer was not averse to bringing matters to an intimate issue at any time. And what they had to say they said at a safe distance. Most of them could run faster than Beezer could, because nature had made Beezer short. Beezer got to be a pretty good shot with a two-inch washer or a one-inch nut, and he got to carrying around a supply of ammunition in the hip pocket of his overalls. As for McAllister, when the two ran foul of each other as the engineer came on for his runs or signed off at the end of one, there wasn't any talking done. Regan had warned them a little too hard to take chances. They just looked at each other sour enough to turn a whole milk dairy. The men told Beezer that McAllister had rigged a punching bag up in his backyard and was taking a correspondence course in pugilism. Beezer said curried words. Driving an engine, said they, is a dog's life. It's worse than pick-slinging. There's nothing in it. Why don't you cut it out? You've had enough experience to get a job in the shops. Why don't you hit Regan up and change over? By Christmas! Beezer would roar while he emptied his pocket and gave vent to mixed metaphor. I'll show you a changeover if I ever got a chance, and I'd show you there was something to run in an engine besides bouncing up and down on the seat like balls with nothing but wind in them and grinning at the scenery. A chance. That's all Beezer asked for. A chance. And he kept on asking Regan. That dollar ten a day looked worse than ever since Mrs. Beezer's invasion of Mrs. McAllister's kitchen. But Regan was obdurate, and likewise was beginning to get his usually complacent outlook on life, all men with a paunch have a complacent, serene outlook on life as a compensation for the paunch. It disturbed a little. Beezer and his demands were becoming ubiquitous. Regan was getting decidedly on edge. Firing, said Beezer. Let me start in firing. There's as much in that as in fitting, and I can get along for the little while that'll be before you're down on your knees begging me to take a throttle. Firing, eh? Regan finally exploded one day. 
"'Look here, Beezer, I've heard about enough from you. Fire it, eh? There'd have been some firing done before this that would have surprised you if you hadn't been a family man. Get that? The trouble with you is that you don't know what you want or what you're talking about.' "'I know what I want, and I know what I'm talking about,' Beezer answered doggedly. "'And I'm going to keep on putting it up to you till you quit saying no. You'll be a doing it a long time, then.' said Regan bluntly, laying a few inches of engine dust with the blackstrap juice. A long time, Beezer, till I'm dead. But it wasn't. Regan was wrong about that, dead wrong. It's unexplainable the way things work out sometimes. End of chapter 9, part 1